Before I forget, uh, when you leave, make sure you pick up one of these little brochures will be handed out to you that talks about our Sweetheart Supper that's going to take place at the Orchard Event Center up in Oak Glen. Uh, gives you the details for it if you can come. We'd like to have you there. It's our second annual one. Reminds me of a place, a restaurant back in Nebraska that used to advertise. They had a worldwide chain of two. So this is our second annual, our world event that's going to take place. My voice was given out already in the children's story. I haven't even started preaching yet. There is a medical condition that they're looking at for me. I know what you're going through, John. I think I keep telling them that I know what the medical condition is. It's just devilitis. He doesn't want me to preach. One of the things that is asked any pastor, I'm sure Paul has run across this in his ministry, who's the 144,000? You've been asked that all along, you know, and you get all kinds of answers, whether in our denomination or outside the denomination. We have some that says it's only 144,000 that's going to be translated. Uh, Our Jehovah Witnesses, brothers and sisters, says there's only going to be 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses that are going to be taken to heaven. There's more of that in their denomination, so they're just waiting for somebody to drop out so that they can take their place. There are some that believe that the 144,000 will be 144,000 Jews that will become evangelists and that they will build a brand new temple and start putting up the sacrifices again. And uh, they're getting ready all the sacrificial equipment and the raising of the perfect lambs for the sacrifices, and they're getting all that into place. And so you can see there's a lot of interpretation. If you go into a bookstore and ask the person if they have a religious section, where's your books that have to deal with 144,000. Well, you might spend a whole day just looking at the names of the books and have every variation within the entire thing. What we want to look at is really what the Bible has to say. And what I'm going to share with you is not really all my material, although some of it comes because you always adapt it to yourself. Carol Briggs will know the picture up here. This is Carol's cousin who is the pastor in Eagle, uh, Idaho, not far from where Carol and Burton live. And uh, he is uh, putting together an evangelistic series that I think that you're going to be seeing in the near future on Hope Channel and a lot of other places. Uh, It's quite a series of the uh, videos that I have seen of it. Uh, But this comes from one of his in the series as well, too. And uh, there's some things that I, I want to take a look at and to share uh, that might be helpful in our interpretation of the 144,000. So we, what we need to do is we need to go to Revelation chapter 7, and we want to look at verses 1 through 3. If we could, Revelation 7, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. 
Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, if you remember last week, we we talked about the sealing of the foreheads of God and the hand. We want to look at the foreheads. This is when God's people make a mental decision that we are going to follow God no matter what. Does that make sense? That's what you want to do. That's what you want to be. You want to make a mental decision. You have looked through the Bible and you have come to the fact that you want to follow God no matter where He leads you or where He takes you or what might be happening around you. So this is what's going to be sealed in the foreheads of these individuals. So the winds of strife are being held back. Do you want to know why we don't have a lot of, lot more of these uh, uh, 9-11s taking place at the moment? We have some, but God is still holding back the strife because he's still sealing. He still has people that he wants to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. But this continues on. Um, he's holding back the winds of the strife for that sealing, and so we continue on in Revelation 7, beginning with verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. This is the part you always jump over. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Wow. Let's continue on. Let's go to Revelation. So he, he heard the number. What was, what was the number? 144,000. If you was to add all those 12,000s up, you'd come up to 144,000. Let's go to Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked. I'll let you turn your pages. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. There's that seal again. The choosing to follow God no matter what takes place. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Someday I hope in heaven I can play harp. And they sang, as it were, a new song. Keep that in your brain, if you would. What did he hear? A new song. Who's singing the new song? The 144,000 before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. 
These are the ones who were not defiled with women. What's a woman in Bible prophecy? Church. This is women, plural. Churches. Not defiled by the churches. For they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So, good descriptions. But again, you have a lot of people with a lot of interpretations of anywhere from Jews, Christians, and just plain Seventh-day Adventists. So what are we going to do? Well, first we have to point out some problems. We have a problem here. The names of the 12 tribes are not the same in other locations of the Bible. Did you ever notice that? They're not the same. If you was to look at the 12 tribes in other Bibles, you would see, like in Genesis chapter 49, Here's the list of the 12 tribes. Here's the list of the 12 tribes in Genesis 49. And if you was to go back, you would definitely see that these are the descendants of, of Abraham, actually the children uh, and grandchildren that were going on in Genesis 49. And that's, that's the list. Okay, But you see another list in Ezekiel chapter 48. Notice on that list in Ezekiel, you have Reuben and Simon, but Levi's left out and Manasseh is put in. And then you have Judah and Zebulun and Issachar and Dan and Gad and Asher and Naphtali. And Joseph is replaced by Ephraim. And then you have Benjamin and then Benjamin. So I put those in red so you can see. Some were taken off. Two of them were taken off. Two new ones added to the list in Ezekiel. But then if you go to the book of Revelation... You see this taking place in Revelation 7. I've put it down so we can compare. Notice that Manasseh was taken off in that order, actually was moved down, and Levi was put back in. Okay? But Dan was taken out, and Manasseh was put there. And then you have all, you have Joseph back on the list again. What in the world's going on? Well, that's what we gotta find out. That's where the problem is. Now, we've got to go back and kind of do a little bit of, of study a little bit. Especially in the Old Testament, but it even happened in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, many times, these Old Testament names had a spiritual meaning. Do you know what I mean? If, if a person heard that person's name, they automatically knew this was the meaning of that name. Sometimes even today, we go through... And, and when we're going to have a child, we go through that, that baby book list, you know, that's got 10,000 names on there. And then we, we want to look to see what the meaning is because we don't want to stick them with a name that they're going to regret later on. Sometimes we still do anyway. And sometimes the kids don't even like the names that we give to them. But they have spiritual meaning. Let me give you an example. Remember the one name that was taken out from, from the list in Revelation? Do you remember what it was? That was Dan. Okay, let's take a look at, the, at Dan's name. Dan's name means God has judged in Genesis 30, verse 6. God has judged. What a name. There must be a reason for that. Now, 
the names of these 12 tribes actually went on from generation to generation to generation. Am I right? Because a little later on they were called the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Judah. So those names, but that name, that, that meaning went on with the generations that went on down through the line. Later on, here's God has judged Dan's. Later on, the children of Dan, the descendants of Dan, were judged by God because of their idol worship. They sat, they, they put, placed in the city of Dan, Idols and began worshiping idols instead of worshiping God. They had these golden images that they set up and they were judged by God because of that. Does that make sense? Do you know where I'm going with that? Okay. So keep that in your mind. Let's continue. Revelation 14 verses 9 through 11. The third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worships the beast and his image, when, let me stop here, when the children of Dan were judged, they were judged because what were they doing? They were worshiping idols, which is an image. Oh, wait a minute here. At the end of time, the people will be God's people or they're going to worship the image. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worshipped the beast in his image and received his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. There they're judged. Which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest uh, day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives his mark of his name. Okay? So, at the end of time, there's going to be a group of people who are not worshiping God, but they are worshiping the image that is set up, the beast and its image. Keep that in your mind. In the book of Revelation, you're to worship the Creator. We, we went through that in weeks past. We're to worship the Creator. And how and when are we to worship the Creator? On His day, which is the Sabbath. Remember, Satan's going to set up his counterfeit day. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, we're to worship the Creator. If you worship the image of the beast, like the tribe of Dan who worshipped idols, you will be judged and lost. Wait for Gary to turn his page. You'll be judged or lost. So, here we have the name Dan. He's left out of the, of the list of the twelve tribes in the book of Revelation. And he's left out because he's going to be worshiping an image. He's going to be judged by God. Seems to fit, doesn't it? Okay, now we got another problem. This other problem is the fact how can you have an even number of each tribe? 12,000 even. Now here goes along with that problem. What tribe do you belong to? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know what tribe I belong to. If I was to go back into my genealogy and I was to go, go, to, the, go to the Mormon church and trace back my genealogy, but it only goes back so far, how am I going to get back 
to which tribe I belong to. And what if I'm the oddball and I'm 12,001 in the wrong tribe, standing in the wrong place? They're going to look at me kind of funny. So there's another problem, because there's some, even within our denomination, that says, no, this, this 144,000 is an exact number, and you're going to be from that tribe, and you've got to know the name of that tribe that you're going to be in, and we got problems. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 now, because we're going to begin to understand what God, how God writes the book of Revelation. And he tells us, Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified, keep that in mind, signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So here we go. We, uh, we have God that, that, or Jesus that gives the message of revelation. He gives it to an angel and the angel gives it to John. This is not John making up all of this. And what he does is he signifies it. The word signify means symbolize. The majority of the things, and the context will reveal one way or the other, the majority of the things that are in the book of Revelation are symbols. Not literal, but symbols. Is it possible that 144,000 could be a symbol? The 12 tribes of, of exact number of 12,000, could it be a symbol? So God uses symbols in the book of Revelation. And the twelve tribes, I believe, are symbolic. Okay? So let's see what the New Testament teaches about Israel. Because the twelve tribes are actually called Israel. Am I right? Okay. So let's see what the New Testament has to say about Israel. We have to go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. How am I a son of Abraham? By faith, okay. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith, are blessed with believing Abraham. How did Abraham understand the gospel? First by faith, but faith in what? What was going to come through the lineage of Abraham, the Messiah? So he had to believe that what God said that somewhere along the line, the Messiah in the future is going to come through his lineage. Now, this is before Abraham ever had any children. So he had to accept it by faith. He had to accept the gospel by faith. Now, we live in a time period where we look back by faith that Jesus was the fulfillment of that and that he died for our sins. So we still have to use faith just like Abraham had to use faith. Okay? So... 
The New Testament teaches only those who are of faith are considered Abraham's children. Now let's use some examples. Isaac and Ishmael. Were they children of Abraham? Sure. But if we go to Hebrews 11, it talks about by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, his son. And he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. That's the Messiah again, supposed to come through the lineage of Isaac, and yet he's going to kill his son. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, God said that somehow that Isaac was going to to be the lineage, but he asked me to sacrifice my son. I'm going to sacrifice it. I don't know what God's going to do, but I put my faith and my trust in him that he knows what he's talking about. That's That's pretty strong faith, isn't it? And so he's willing, by his actions, to offer up his son Isaac. Not knowing what God's going to do, but he's trusting that God's going to do something. By the way, Isaac had to have just as much faith to allow his dad to sacrifice him, didn't he? So he had just as much faith as his father. He had been trained by his father. So Abraham's faith was demonstrated by his actions. It's not just faith alone. But it's demonstrating. Remember, we're supposed to hear the words in the book of Revelation, but then we're supposed to do them as well, too. That's our actions. That's what's going to reveal our faith. The actions are not going to save us, but the actions are a result of the faith that I have in God that we're going to go through this and we're going to somehow get through. I don't know how, but that's up to God because he's God. So you see what's taking place? But Ishmael, Ishmael... In Patriarchs and Prophets, Sister White says that Ishmael was influenced by the idol worship of his mother. So the influence of his mother was to go in the opposite direction. You do not see in Hebrews 11 that Ishmael will be saved by his faith. It was not counted to him as righteousness. And yet they're both the lineage of Abraham. They're both the sons of Abraham. Let's go to another example. Jacob and Esau, were they both of faith? Jacob eventually got that way, but Esau, it's interesting about Esau. Conflict and courage, page 61. Esau had no love for devotion, no inclination to a religious life. The law of God was regarded by Esau as a yoke of bondage. You see the difference? Both twin brothers, both of the lineage of Abraham, and yet Jacob is saved because of it was counted unto him as righteousness because of his faith, but not for Esau. Take a look at Ruth. Was Ruth a descendant of Abraham? She wasn't. So do we have a problem here? But she accepted Abraham's faith. She accepted Abraham's God and wanted to be a part of Abraham's people. Am I right? Okay. Because of that, guess what we find when we trace the lineage as it goes into the future? Who is a part of the lineage of Ruth? Jesus. 
the Messiah, the promised one. And yet she was not a descendant of, of Abraham. How about Rahab? Was Rahab a descendant of Abraham? No. But because of faith, the faith that she had when God's people surrounded Jericho, because the faith that she had, and she demonstrated the faith by saving the spies and saying, please remember myself and my family, God saved her. And by the way, she's in the lineage of Jesus as well, too. So only those of faith are considered as Abraham's children, whether they were born in the lineage of Abraham or whether they weren't. Some of them were born in and were not accepted, were not listed, because they were not of faith. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For you are, for you are all sons, and I'll add daughters for you ladies, of God through what? Through faith. In whom? In Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's your faith in Jesus that makes you a part of Abraham's seed. Do you have to trace your lineage back to be an exact one of one of those tribes? No. It's your faith in Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you're here by faith in Jesus, you are part of Abraham's seed. Okay? So faith gives you a right to be called Israel. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh these are not the children of God. If you're in the flesh, you don't, have, you don't have faith. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So you're counted as the seed, as the lineage, because of your faith in Jesus. The twelve tribes in Revelation are not genetic children. The twelve tribes are called Israel because of their faith. They are a part of Israel. They are part of the twelve tribes because of their faith. Do you see what the New Testament is teaching? Okay, so it's my faith demonstrated by my actions. I just can't say I have faith, but I can go do whatever I want. That's, that's not good enough. It has to be demonstrated by action, like Abraham. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? What's a natural question. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, and I put in the parentheses, the stumbling stone was who? Jesus, when they rejected Jesus, because he, he was a stumbling stone to them. When they rejected Jesus, even though they were 
could trace back their lineage back to Abraham. It didn't make any difference. It was a stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. i got to add something here just for a moment. Our brothers and sisters who are of the shepherd rod belief says that the stone that hit hit the image in Daniel 2 is not Jesus because Jesus is the rock and is not a stone. And they say the stone then is the shepherd's rod. Brothers and sisters, this says Jesus is the stone and the rock. Let's continue on. Genetic descendants of Abraham did not attain righteousness because they lacked faith in Jesus, the rock. That's why they they lost, because they lacked the faith of Jesus, the rock, the stone, and they stumbled at it, and they yelled out, crucify him. Lost by their faith, not because of their descendants. Their descendants did not save them. In fact, they saw more importance of being tracing their lineage back to Abraham than they saw importance in Jesus Christ. Because they often said, you're an illegitimate child. How could you be the Son of God? How could you be the Messiah? Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me stop here. If you think that you are lost right now, you're wrong. There is time now to be saved because Jesus is holding back the winds of strife for you to make a decision. And if you can make that decision by faith, shown by your actions, and one of the actions is baptism, then you can be a part of the children of God. Does that make sense? There are people today that says, oh, I'm lost. Let me tell you, if you are really lost, you won't care. You won't care if you're lost or not. But it's the fact that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart to say, hey, buddy, hey, sister, somewhere's along the line, you've got to make a decision and you've got time, make it now, because after a while it's going to be too late. When I quit holding back the winds of strife, it'll be too late. The just will remain just still, and the unjust will remain unjust still. But you've got time. But don't put it off. Today is your day for salvation. So, in the New Testament, there is no distinction in nationalities. I I have a hard time when we come to a point where we think that we have to divide nationalities up in church, where the blacks can only be in a black church, where the Spanish can only be in a Spanish church, and when the Greeks can only be in a Greek church, and the Haitians can only be in a Haitian church, and the Japanese and the Chinese and everything else. I have a problem with that. Because we're all going to the same heaven. And if we can't live together here, how are we going to live together there? There is no distinction according to the Bible. There's no distinction between male and female to say that the females are 
are the, the worst thing in the world, and that's what the Jews used to think. The females were worse than dogs. Is not biblical. Or to think that, that the rich are better off than the poor. If you notice this morning on some of those pictures in Haiti, even though they lost everything and they are starving and they are thirsty and they're standing in line just to get some water that's going to last them for just a short period of time, some of those people were smiling. Those are true Christians, by the way. Can smile in the time of adversity. So there's no distinction in nationalities. We are all children of God. When we get to heaven and get our new bodies, we may all be purple. So what do we learn? We have learned that Israel equals those of faith demonstrated by obedience, not genetics. God's people are made up of all nations. So a Polak is just as good as a German. The twelve tribes equal those who have faith in Jesus in our day. We have also learned that Dan is missing because of worshiping an image instead of having faith in God. He was judged. Now I want you to see something. Do you remember what I said to remember about what the 144,000 when they get to heaven, what they're going to do? As they're standing before the throne of Jesus, they're going to sing a new song. No one else knows the name of the song. wonder who's going to write it. I think God has already written it. It's in their heart. I want you to see something. I think God already wrote it in the book of Revelation. And it has to do with the twelve tribes. Remember, it's symbolism. And I want you, and it has to do with the names that was given. So I want you to notice this. We looked at the twelve tribes and the differences, but let me go back here. Come on, go backwards. Oh, well, never mind. I didn't have listed the 12 tribes when we had them all together, so I made it so it was even all the way across like it was in Genesis chapter 7. But if you list it in the order as it is in the book of Revelation, it is in this, this order. And if you use the meanings of the names found in Genesis 29, 30, and 41, where you find the meanings, and you only add two words, uh, an and, A-N-D, and a four, F-O-R-E, but you use just the, the meaning of the names of each one in this order. You get where I'm coming from? They are all given a name and the name has a meaning. And if you put it in this order, as found in Revelation 7, look what it says. As soon as I get through the fancy work here. I will praise the Lord for he has looked on me. And given me good fortune. Happy am I because my wrestling, God is making me to forget. God hears me and will be joined to me. He has purchased me a dwelling. God has added to me and I will be at his right hand. 
What a message. I believe this is a hidden code exclusively for the 144,000. For those who have faith in Jesus, this may even be the words to the new song that we're going to sing in heaven before the throne. What do you think? And it was already given to us by Jesus. I don't know about you, but I thank God for this blessed assurance given to the symbolic number of 144,000. That we are the ones that have accepted by faith and demonstrated by our actions that we have been redeemed from this world by the blood of the Lamb. What a tremendous feeling that is. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. someone here that wants to be a part of the 144,000, that wants to accept Christ by faith, to get ready maybe for baptism, to say, I want the Lord to come into my heart right now and to really make a difference within me, not only to accept Him by faith, but to change my actions so that my actions reveal that I believe in Jesus. That it doesn't matter what goes on in the world or what other people think or all of that. I just want to be ready for Jesus to come. If there's someone who here wants to accept Christ, wants me to pray for him or her, please, please today come down and I will pray for you at, at the end of the song. Let's go with the second verse. Just saying, you know, I want the Lord to come into my heart and to begin to make changes within me. That's all I want, is to make changes. I know I don't know everything right now. There's probably a lot to learn. We're willing to be able to even sit down and study the Bible with you if that's what you'd like to do. 
But if you feel the Holy Spirit working on your heart and saying, I need to come down here and have the pastor pray for me, and I want to accept Jesus right now, come down and join these two, if you would, as we sing the last verse. saying, you know, I'm going to help you through every trial that you have and to work with you and to give you not from your strength, but his strength to overcome this world. And so let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you see these three. They are here because they need you. Not by our might or by our strength. But it's by your spirit, says the Lord. And the spirit of Christ is here right now, ready to anoint these three. But even there may be some who didn't have the courage to come. It's not too late. Just open your heart right now to the Lord and say, I want you to enter in. Lord, you heard the silent prayers. Come in. Redeem us by that shed blood of Jesus that was on the cross. Because he loves us, not because he's condemning us. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. And he wants them all to be saved. Lord, salvation was a price that was willing to be paid by Jesus on the cross so that he can give to us the gift of eternal life. Thank you for that gift now. In Jesus' name, amen.